Well, something is happening today that I don't think has ever happened in my, uh, I'll say, 54 years of ministry. I started out as a youth pastor in Covina, Church of the Nazarene, but uh, never on the same Sunday have I been speaking and Alita speaking, and she is speaking this morning to our ladies, and uh, we were encouraging each other and, and uh, reminding each other not to speak too long. And my comment to her was, hey, I'm old and I forget things. So I might forget to end things up. When we had my father-in-law's, Alita's father's uh, memorial service, he was 96, by the way, when he passed away. And I told everybody, when you live that long, you get a, a minute a year for your memorial service, and that's about what took place. So uh, we'll, we'll use the same math, and I get 76 minutes to preach. Isn't that exciting? Uh, today I want to share with you some thoughts that this 76-year-old has regarding growing old, growing older, and growing disciples. The challenge that I want to give myself and to each one of you is that we commit ourselves to making disciples for Christ. Ah, where did that come from? Well, the Church of the Nazarene, that's what we're all about. And uh, we say it right uh, in our, our mission statement that uh, we're a missional church and that we are, are wanting to disciple of the nations. That's quite a few people to be Christ-like followers. And so that's our responsibility, too. I've got three different uh, uh, segments of Scripture that I'm going to be sharing with you. And uh, since uh, you might not know back there when, when I'm ready for it, I'll just say I'm ready for it, okay? So the first section of Scripture, Psalm 78, 1 through 7. And um, one of the challenges here is uh, David is uh, pouring out his heart. It says a psalm of Asaph. Um, but the whole idea is the psalmist. And there are several of them. We don't know really which one is, is declaring them. David has many of them. Others are from other writers. But this is a powerful, powerful passage. And I want to start by saying... First of all, in making disciples, we must understand that God loves godly generations. Here we go, verse 1. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to, down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about the power of his mighty works. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. 
So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles uh, and, and obeying his commands. So many times we give the message that we're all about becoming a larger congregation. The truth is, God is more interested in us developing godly generations. So, uh, what a challenge that is for you and me. I don't know if you were noticing how this was to be passed on, but uh, it takes relationship. It takes people in relationship for this to happen. First of all, in our families, where uh, grandparents share the neat things that God has done. I can remember I was in a church uh, uh, in a very small community, John Day, Oregon. One of the challenges we had, a town about 2,500, church of maybe 100 people. And uh, one day we were having a work day. And we had a young man visiting, maybe 14, 15 years old. And uh, on this work day, he came because his grandparents made him come. And uh, he got stuck with this old-timer who was also a visitor. And he was a father of one of uh, the ladies in our church. But I knew something about this man. Well, soon enough, uh, after we'd been working for a while, the teenager came and said, this is boring. I don't like the man. I don't like to work with the man I'm working with. And I said, oh, that's too bad. Why don't you start asking him some questions? Like what? Well, why don't you ask him, what's the most dangerous thing you have ever done? Or maybe you might say, what's the neatest miracle you've ever seen? Well, he said, okay. Lunchtime came, and he and the old guy didn't come. He was old. He's probably about 65. <laughs> and, uh, but they didn't come. I mean, at lunchtime, we were getting near the end of it, and here they came. And this guy runs up to me and said, hey, this guy's a World War II vet. And he was a, a sniper in, in, in the Army. He was on the ski patrol up in Scandinavia. And he just kept on telling all these neat stories. And I want to say something to the young people. You know, there's a lot of stories here. It might help you with a term paper, in fact, if you knew some of our stories. So ask away. But you're going to hear about a miracle or two along the way. You're going to hear about how God has blessed us. And I think the best story we can tell is, this is how I came to faith in Christ. And we ought to be asking that of each other. Tell me your story. How is it that you came to faith in Christ? One time I had a fellow come into my office and he and I weren't on the same page. I shared this story. I share it many times. But he came because... The gal he was sweet on and wanted to date said she wouldn't date him if he did, unless he came to church. So he came to church. And uh, he was a mess. He was into drugs and alcohol. And I could kind of tell he and I weren't clicking. And so in the same building that same day, there was a man who was working on our phone systems. And I knew that he had a story that would equal this guy's experience. So I said, wait here, just a minute. And I, I went and found my friend who was working on our phone system and said, hey, can you take 10 minutes to come and talk to a fellow? He agreed. 
He came in, he sat down, he looked at the guy and said, I understand we have the same best friend. And the guy said, huh? Yeah, Jack Daniels. <laughs> and from that, he was able to share on that young man's wavelength about what it took to trust Christ, even though you were into drugs and alcohol. It was a beautiful sight. We all have the responsibility of making disciples, and God loves it to be generational as we share our stories. By the way, your grandparents, the young people, want to hear your story of what Christ has done for you. Well, let's go on. Making disciples is a lifelong endeavor. Next slide, if you will, for the scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. I'm going to do what pastor does. I'm getting dry. Did you notice that verse 14? Talking about old people here. Paul, talking about old people here. They will bear fruit. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. I want to take a little poll today. And it's to those of you who are older, okay? How many of you here, and I just want you to raise your hand. How many of you are older right now than you were when you got out of bed today? That's what I thought. So many times... We talk about older people. Compared to who? Well, you get someone like me or Bill Young, yeah. We're older than most. But some of you, you're older than someone that needs to hear about Jesus. I know that we say to you, you go to college to get an education. I think you ought to go to college to give an education to those students that are around you, friends, perhaps people you've never met, maybe it's your roommate, who doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ. And God has planted you for a, a purpose, and that is to share what God is doing in your life. I've retired several times in this church. They keep calling me back. I've asked Gordon, am I done yet? I, know I might be after this uh, trip he's taken. But uh, I figure that I'm going to be around anyway, so I might as well come on in and uh, just be a presence to people who need to hear that God loves them. And that's my fellow staff members. But what about you? I heard about a, uh, a high school group, Modesto First Baptist Church, large church and they had a phenomenon that was taking place in their youth ministry and that is when students got to be seniors they checked out they felt like they were no longer needed and the youth pastor 
felt, wow, I've got to do something. And they put together a program where those seniors would, would disciple freshmen and sophomores. And here they came back because they wanted to make their lives count for Jesus in making disciples. Third point, making disciples is done as others watch. They watch us live out our faith in Christ on a daily, on a daily basis. Next scripture, Acts 21, 10 through 16. Interesting story. This is a story that involves Paul and a man who was older than him that had quite an impact. He writes, Luke is writing this, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now this is a great guy. I wonder why we don't name our boys Agabus. Sounds like a good name. Coming over to us, he took Paul's uh, belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Well, it doesn't sound like very good news, does it? When we heard this, we and the people there pleading with Paul, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh. <laughs> He's one of my favorite scripture people. And uh, I didn't even know this guy existed until a few years ago. And some of you have heard me share this, uh, this story, his story, at maybe a memorial service. Or I even shared his story when I spoke to the caravan kids a number of years ago. So... They, they, they were going to the home of the nation where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. I wanted to tell, tell you about this old man. I don't know how old he was. Maybe he's 63. But uh, nonetheless, he was a man who had come to faith early. Now, we're not quite sure when that was. Possibly, and this is my opinion, he came to faith in Christ when Christ was still preaching and doing his miracles and sharing the good news. Or he could have come to faith in Christ when Simon Peter gave his great message after uh, Pentecost. We're not sure. But he was early enough that he was around when the Apostle Paul was breathing out threats against Christians arresting them, throwing them in prison. This is when his name was Saul, and we know the story on the Damascus Road when he was uh, knocked off his high horse, and he came to faith in Christ. And so Manasseh, I believe, is one of the people that the Apostle Paul had persecuted. Perhaps had had him thrown in jail. We don't know. We just know that he's an early disciple. And we know all this stuff happened that, that uh, Saul was doing um, when he was uh, not quite a Christian. 
he will soon be. And, uh, of course, one of the great stories I have uh, in my mind from my youth is the story of, of uh, Stephen and his persecution. Maybe it's because my brother's name is Stephen, and our pastor would always call me when we were just eight, nine years old. He would say, there's Apostle Paul and Stephen the martyr. And so that's just uh, uh, our identity that we grew up with. But nonetheless, here's this man, Manasseh. Now, I've given you two good names to name your boys. So uh, you think about it uh, uh, when that time comes. But what in the world did Manasseh, what did he have to say to the Apostle Paul? Notice they're going to lodge there for the night. Now, it could be on the way to Jerusalem. I personally think it was in Jerusalem. And so uh, here are the things that I think Manasseh poured out uh, from his own heart to Paul. He told Paul how he accepted the Lord Jesus. He filled in the blanks as to what it meant to be an early disciple. And uh, then I, I, I believe that uh, he wanted to encourage Paul and to share with him that whatever God is calling him to do, and we know what it's like uh, for Paul to be in, in the previous church where they were crying and wailing and saying, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to die there. And now he's on his way and spends the night and I believe that Manasseh shared a whole lot of things about what it meant to serve Christ. And I think the main thing that he had to share with them was how to forgive people. You say, well, wait a minute, Paul, where do you get that? Well, if he was one of the persecuted ones, and Paul was the one who was doing the persecution, then it would be very easy for Manasseh to have feelings about Paul. And I believe God arranged this meeting to uh, free both of them from having bad thoughts to one another. And God wanted them to learn just by being together what it meant to be forgiven. I think it was an appointment that God arranged for them to experience the love of Christ and to hear the forgiveness that comes from a brother or sister in the Lord. And I think that's one of the things God wants us to be looking out for. In our disciple making, maybe it's to one another, where if you have a grudge, if there's something that you have against someone, that God is saying, it's time. It's time for you to give and receive forgiveness, whatever it might be. This last week, I had the privilege of going to men's retreat and heard a story. And I thought I'd share a little bit of this story, but it, it, it's about what we're talking about here. And that is disciple making, discipling. What does that mean? It simply means sharing out of my own experience how to serve Christ and learning from you how to serve Christ. The story was of a high schooler named Kurt, and a gal in high school named Jan. Jan was from a middle-class family, wealthy, beyond most in that community. And went to a nice church, and uh, were outstanding people. 
Kurt, on the other hand, was from the other side of town. He, uh, he was a fighter. He and his four brothers were known to be fighters. He learned how to fight protecting his mother from his father, if you get my drift. Dad would come home drunk as could be and would take it out on his wife. And the boys, when they got big enough, started uh, saying, hey, there's more of us than him. And they would fight their dad. Well, Jan came to a new school, sophomore year, tough time to move. And uh, Kurt said, wow, she's cute. And trying to figure a way, his pickup line, you know, he couldn't figure it out. And finally he thought, oh, if I... If I ask to borrow money, she'll be after me later to get repaid, and I get to talk to her again. Now, you might try that, or you might not. You know, it's up to you. But uh, so uh, they began this relationship, and now we're going to what many, many stories like this. Perhaps you've even seen a movie on this. Rich gal, poor guy, start dating. And in their junior year, yes, it happened. Jan told her folks, I'm pregnant. Well, they arranged for her to go off to an aunt's house in California where she really went to a home for unwed mothers. Remember, this is a whole generation ago. And uh, she gave birth to a little girl and uh, gave the little girl up for adoption. Then she came back her senior year, and uh, her folks said, no more Kurt. And they tried to see each other, but uh, folks really locked the things down. She finally graduated. She said, finally, I get to marry Kurt. They said, no, you're going to college. So they sent her away to college, and... uh, Kurt decided, hey, I can leave my job at Kmart and go up and see her. Well, sure enough, baby number two. And she did it strategically, thinking, now my folks will make me marry him. And that, in those days, that's what happened. Sure enough, that, that took place. So she married Kurt. And uh, he began to be a father to his children and a husband to his wife, just like his daddy had taught him. Kind of a reverse discipleship, if you get my drift. It was, it was something that uh, he had learned from his dad. Finally, Jan got to the place where no more. And she left, and she was crying so much after she packed up and, and, and left to get away from him. She pulled into a parking lot, a church parking lot. A lady came out and said, are you okay? To make uh, this story a little bit shorter, she came to faith in Christ that day and uh, moved back home with her folks. Kurt, meanwhile, got a job, and uh, he went to Kansas City. And uh, he kept up his ways, only he didn't have his family anymore. He got to kind of missing them. And so Kurt decided that he was going to call Jan and say, give me one more chance. And she said, okay if you'll go to church. Well, how bad could that be, he thought. She'll forget about it in a little bit. So uh, that's what he did. Meanwhile, he got a management position 
in Kansas City. Um, and uh, they moved there. It was about the time I was in seminary. And uh, he had made this promise, but he wasn't quite sure. You know, she'll forget it. There's no way I have to do this. But there came a, a knock at the door. And it was a couple, Mike and Linda Couch. Now, I think I was in the same class in seminary that Mike was. It was a class on evangelism. And her homework was to go out, knock on doors, and take a survey talking about people's faith. So they did that. And they knocked on the door and said, hey, we're your neighbors. Uh, Mike said, I have a, an assignment. I'm supposed to ask some questions. Would you mind answering some questions? Oh, we'll answer some questions. They were so hungry to have some new friends. And so in the process of asking these questions, one of the questions was, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to ask, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Jan had a good answer. Kurt didn't. He didn't understand. It was all about Jesus. And so uh, Mike and Linda had the privilege of leading Kurt to faith in Christ. Now here's where it got interesting. They started attending a small church. And Kurt, he still had all the background and baggage from before. And he thought in his mind, what am I going to do? I don't know how to act in church. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he started watching the other men. And he noticed that uh, some men would put their arm around their wife during, during the preaching. So he thought that must be the right thing to do. So he did. So that must be the right thing to do. So he did. So that might be the right thing. Never mind. <laughs> and then he noticed that when children got out of children's church, they would come and the dads would get down on their knee and the children would run into dad's arms and and he would hug them and say, I love you. What did you learn in, in, in children's church? What did you learn in Sunday school? And he said, wow, I've never heard my dad say I love you. I've never told my little boys I love them. I've never hugged them. I've hit them. And so he began to do that. He began watching. And what the men would do, he would do. Pretty soon someone came to him and said, would you like to be an usher today? He had looking around. He had watched people do that. What do I do? And the guy said, you just watch me and do what I do. So that's what he did. And his discipling was just done, I would say, off the cuff in daily living as people lived out their faith in front of him. Now going back to those two little boys, the man I was hearing this story from was our speaker at our retreat last week. And he's the one who is in charge of discipling for the Church of the Nazarene. And his concept of discipling is what he learned from his dad. A dad who pointed him to Jesus, who shared with him, this is how you do it. I got to thinking of how, how does that look for us here in this church? And I think it looks exactly the same way. 
our discipling takes place as we interact with each other. You see, the praise team, they're up here and they're getting ready to sing and they're talking to each other and the truth is they're, they're discipling each other. And uh, then in Sunday school, as your teacher teaches and you have class discussion and perhaps someone is a new Christian there and they're sharing, this is how to be a Christian. On Wednesday nights, we have a meal here and people come and they interact with each other. A lot of uh, intergenerational stuff takes place. Learning more about each other, but learning from each other how to serve Christ. I believe that's what discipling is all about. It's not a class that we take. It is that, but it's so much more. It's the opportunity for us to intertwine our lives and to learn about Jesus from each other. One of the things that we have the privilege of doing is communion. Perhaps you've never taken communion. You watched others, and what they did, you did. Perhaps uh, there is an assignment for you to be a greeter. Well, how do I do that? Handing out bulletins, welcoming people. You just watch others, and you do it. Or perhaps for you, this whole thing of stewardship is a mystery. How to give? What do I give? Now, if this isn't a great segue, I'd like for the ushers to prepare themselves because we're going to show you what that means. Some of you have a connection card to put into the offering plates, but uh, I'd like to have the ushers uh, prepare themselves and um, come and we're going to give unto the Lord because this is what we do and we're discipling, discipling you in this. I'm going to pray that God would bless us in our discipling, and then we're going to wrap things up with with music. But uh, let's pray and ask God to bless us in our disciple-making. Lord, thank you for the people who showed us how to uh, live, who showed us how to give. I thank you for my dad, so faithful every Sunday in putting his check into the offering. I thank you for how I learned to be a Christian and even a pastor from people who showed me how to do it. And may we be that kind of church, a disciple-making church, as we help each other make it to heaven. I thank you for each one as they give. Bless them financially. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.